Hey, everybody. Welcome to Social Media Makers, the podcast, where every Wednesday we'll bring you fast-paced, powerful 15 or so minutes meant to inform, educate, and inspire around a variety of topics, including trends in all things tech for the professional salon industry. I'm Gordon Miller, your podcast host. Um, a reminder that on Sundays, you can find me hosting BeautyCast Network's Mastering Beauty podcast, featuring brilliant guests sharing their best advice on building sustainable and successful careers. Before we get started, if you like the podcast, do feel free to leave a rating, review, um, or um, subscribe. Um, all those things help others to find the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. So today, um, first off, <laughs> I've had like four hours sleep. Um, I went out to Denver, visited family, um, am back um, Delayed flights, getting home. Um, I am. Um, I'm on the coffee. I'll admit it. I'm on the coffee, <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm excited to get started. And uh, today, I'm going to talk a little bit about fact versus opinion and the professional beauty industry, and attempt to add a little bit more context. It's one of my favorite pastimes. But first, a quote. It's Mark Twain. He says, "Get your facts first, then you can distort them as you please." <laughs> I love that quote. Um, okay, so and note that facts are are generally something um, that is thought to be verifiable. Um, it's not about emotions. It's not about beliefs. It's about what actually is. And a case in point, I, I saw a post over the weekend about reception desks. If you listen to me regularly, you know there's some coaches that I sometimes chat about. I don't call them out. I don't want to send them followers, but they say some crazy stuff. And um, and they've got you know a, a fairly big reputation. Um, and again, I think I think they are smart folks, as I have said in the past. But gosh, some of the stuff that they say um, just like drives me a little bit crazy. So this post says. Um, the front desk was created to extend retail sales from department stores to salon spaces, aiming to boost retail revenue by hijacking salon businesses. If you know me, you know that this podcast and is not sponsored by brands. And by the way, um, those folks I'm talking about, theirs is. Um, and so that's kind of interesting, but they're not your traditional brands or the brands that don't go through front desks and things. So, hmm, about that one. Um, and they also say in this post that um, in salons, retail sales do not make you a real profit. They inflate your cash flow. That is like so incorrect. Anybody who thinks this doesn't understand business. I'm sorry. The only time it says um, that you profit from a retail sale is when you sell it for the last time and never reorder. This is like such business basics. This is, I, I'm sorry, if someone says just to run for the exit, um, and I'm, I'm not, you know, trying to be offensive about, you know, this, this particular, you know, human, but it's just nonsense, you know, plain and simple. Um, then it says the front desk costs salons more than most salon owners make from their businesses. This is just a person's opinion. And, you know, businesses are of all different shapes and sizes, all different financial, you know, statuses. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that's crazy stuff. Um, and then technology can replace the front desk and product shelves leaving you with less overhead and a real take-home profit. It's so much more complicated than this. Again, I know so many salons that are killing it in retail, and I know many who are failing. I know many salons who are just successful generally, and I know many that are failing. And so this oversimplification, um, which really feels like clickbait, you know, it's just something to get attention, um, it's, it's crazy and it's, it's a little bit dangerous. So I read this post and I was actually having lunch with my 88-year-old mom. and. Um, Interestingly, I was, I was like, mom, you know, 
you've been around um you remember salons like back in the 1950s and 60s and 70s and you know in in the communities that we lived in um do you remember like was there front desks now i will say that you know in my family growing up we didn't have a lot of 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 money and so we weren't regulars you know i wasn't i never went to a salon except for high school, high school graduation and college graduation and my mom wasn't a regular but you know was surrounded by people who are um back then you know we'd walk through the hood and and you know see what was all around us and and so i was like you know mom reception desks you know was that a thing She's like, um, I don't recall ever seeing a salon that didn't have one. It, we have to remember this was a long time ago, but this idea that like retail companies that manufacturers have hijacked us. So first and foremost, that part of the industry didn't even start until really till like the 1990s and 2000s is when it became big, where such a thing could even happen um, because business, you know, 70s and before um, there, there was very little you know if any retail salon sold rain bonnets and and you know um, hairspray and and that was kind of it so retail wasn't really a thing but salons um booked appointments that was the era of weekly appointments so booking appointments was like a big deal and it, it didn't happen stylist by stylist so, you know independence was not a thing back then in, in mainstream beauty and so typical salons did in fact have some form of a desk very small salon might have a very small one they had what we called rotary phones they were wired into the wall there was one people didn't have cell phones i mean you know so it was a, it was a very different time and desks were practical desks were necessary how do you check people in how do you check people out how do you take their money you know people didn't get paid individually tips yes you know people would slip them a dollar or, or perhaps 50 cents or a quarter because you know everything was so different back then price-wise you know when i was a kid gas was like 25 cents a gallon you know so it, it was a different time but this idea that you know desks you know were uh, created by brands that didn't even exist when we had desks um, to hijack salon profits the idea that over decades and decades that manufacturers you know retail companies put in place a strategy to hijack, quote unquote, profitability um, for some retail sales that ultimately would go away because the, because that model, that that idea that's being proposed, you know, that's ridiculous, um, that that would somehow be good for the brand, you know, that instability in the professional market would be good for these specific brands. It's just a little bit cray. And so, um, Again, I said before, you know, I, I think it's kind of click date, click bait, excuse me. Um, I, 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 you know, I think these folks are too smart to just be saying crazy stuff, but I, but I could be wrong. They just might be cray. These are also folks who, you know, who've been talking a lot about, you know, their ability to create sounding like almost anybody to be a seven figure hairdresser. You know, that bugs me. I mean, I love for everybody to aspire, but as somebody who really does understand the economics of the industry has been around for a long time and knows many of the most successful hairdressers in the industry globally, um, this is just not a thing for most. Um, the seven figure hairdresser is, I mean, if you did the math, if it was 1% of professionals, that would be a miracle. You know, 
a miracle. I mean, it's probably one tenth of 1% of all pros who are in this category and just have to do the math to figure it out. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, if you consider economics, you know, big picture, and then just kind of do the math. It just, it's just not a thing. And by the way, you know, I'm not trying to rain on anybody's parade. Look at the larger industry. Look, you know, they like to talk about the corporate folks and, you know, how they're doing bad things to the industry, perhaps. And, you know, I'm, I'm not Pollyannish to say everything's perfect in the world. However, you know, knowing the corporate side of beauty, there are very, very, very few seven-figure corporate executives in the professional beauty industry. There are. It's just, it's just not, you know, the most common thing. Now, if you're running a gazillion-dollar business, you know, with bonuses and all kinds of stuff, you could be there. But again, it's a handful of people. And so, you know, if you think of it in that context, just this idea that, oh, hey, come over here, give us your money, and we're going to turn you into this, um, that, that bugs me. Now, I'm not saying they have never done it. I, I just don't know who that person is. You think they'd be kind of banging the drum, look over here. So, uh, you know, and again, I know that, yes, these people do exist, but they're rare. And, you know, I, I just think, you know, um, it's important we, we shine a spotlight on, yes, the opportunity, the potential, you know, what it takes to reach potential. But again, you know, let's be real. And as Mark Twain said, get your facts first. Um, so, you know, big, big idea. The um, next thing is switching gears a bit. Um, a quick thing about a very frustrating conversation that has to do with language. And it, it kind of began pre-pandemic quite a bit pre-pandemic. If you listen to me regularly, you've heard me talk about my frustration with the, the, the word artists and how we've kind of willy-nilly just laid it on top of everybody. All hairdressers are artists. Any category of people is typically not the same. Everybody isn't the same. Everybody isn't in our industry an artist. I would say that most, most hairdressers are artistic. You know, most hairdressers are artistic. Um, and someday we'll perhaps become artists. Well, post-pandemic, now we're talking about, you know, everybody's an entrepreneur. You are all entrepreneurs. Um, so, you know, again, kind of back to reality check here. You know, it, this concerns me because it, it puts things in front of people that uh, when you overly normalize stuff, it's like, well, I have to be that. You know, it's like, well, I'm supposed to be that. If I'm not that, I'm somehow a failure. And also kind of connects to this idea that, you know, kind of everybody gets surprised that that somehow is, is a good thing for all of us. And, and so, you know, again, when you're, you're told that you're supposed to be something and, you know, um, I think it's important to say that that doesn't make it so. Um, and I think, you know, when we talk about being an entrepreneur, you know, that is about innovation, you know, just from a definitional perspective, you know, small business people, um, or business people generally are not all entrepreneurs. In fact, the majority by far in, in business across all categories are not entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurship is, is about innovation in business and it goes across all kinds of categories. But if you're not innovating, you know, versus growing a business, you can be a business person and, and be really successful and really do great in life. But that does not by definition make you an entrepreneur. And I, again, I think when we say to everybody, oh, you know, you are just by definition entrepreneur, go start your business now today without any context of well, what does it really take? I, I think that, you know, is, is, is concerning. You know, it's, it's really, really concerning. You know, Forbes has some interesting facts about, you know, small businesses. And I think when we talk about, you know, the opportunity, so big picture, this is not the beauty industry because we have terrible data, but, but big picture, you know, the average, according to Forbes, you know, really respected business publication that's really big on data. The average salary of a small business owner is just 3% above the annual mean wage in the United States, which is $58,000 a year. 
And so, you know, just think about our own industry. I mean, if that's the average, typically we're probably the same. And guess what? With what information we can get from different government reports, some industry data, that doesn't sound that far off. So the idea that by owning a business, you you, you, you're going to make more money than everybody else is, is a, a distortion of, of reality. Importantly, one in five businesses fail within the first year. You know, so, you know, that's really interesting. So business failure rate, year one, 20%. Um, year two is 30% and year five is 50%. So in other words, after five years, 50% of, of businesses generally in, in the larger American economy fail. And the failure rate in beauty from what we believe to be true from the limited data we have is even higher. So why do businesses fail? So number one reason, again, not beauty, but generally, and, but, and I would apply all these to the beauty industry. I think these are probably fairly spot on. Number one reason, according to Forbes, cash flow. 82% have challenges with cash flow um, leading potentially to failure. Number two, this one is big and it's so important. I think it's, and I think it's very true of our industry, lack of demand. Literally, people open businesses and they don't have enough to ban, demand, excuse me, to support the business. Again, a really big idea, but think about it. You go into any neighborhood, um, there typically isn't like a, a lack of opportunity for people to get their hair done. It's just, it's just not something that is known to be true from the consumer perspective. So you open a new salon, unless you do something unique to make yourself, to make yourself stand out, to uh, create demand, above and beyond what you already have, that can be really challenging. Number th three, in terms of reasons that small business fail, lack of talent. Again, you're a business, whether you're um, a traditional salon, small business with you know yourself and perhaps other people working with you or for you, um, or a rental salon similarly, and I'm not talking about a true independent who's working solo, that the number three reason businesses fail is lack of talent. And we know there's a really big issue in the industry of getting people to go to work in environments where there's more than one person working. So lack of talent is a real thing. Lack of business model is next, meaning, you know, they don't really have an understanding of the business model. So, you know, really, really interesting. Um, so yeah, again, I think that um, the idea that everybody's an entrepreneur, that everybody should be in business because they want to be in business is, is something that we should be talking about. You know, people should go into business when they truly have all the things, you know, kind of in their toolkit, you know, as, as potential business people, as professionals, um, then enable them to have the best chance of success. And very few people who are in any profession, you know, are really truly equipped um, to go into business for themselves, you know, within the first year or two of, of getting into that industry. And I think, you know, that is really important to say. Yeah, at a time. I um, hope you got something from this. Sorry to be ranting. Um, I, I probably need to stop these rantings. Um, but again, I just think it's so important that, you know, we, we because we're hearing all these things that, that those of us who, who feel some responsibility to our fellow professionals, that we'll take the time to call out that which is not true and, um, and, and factual, you know, most importantly, because I, I think we're in this weird time where truth doesn't seem to mean very much, you know, and that is its own problem. So at a time, if you like what you heard, I encourage you to visit me over at socialbeautymakers.com. Sign up for my free weekly e-newsletter um, and also get early access to the podcast. Um, hope you listen in on Sundays, Beautycast Network, Mastering Beauty. Um, great conversations with brilliant professionals. And uh, yeah, I'm out of time. So once again, 
Thank you so very much for tuning in. I'm Gordon Miller, and um, I cannot wait to share more with you again next time.